Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Everybody, welcome. You have just joined episode number 164 of Linux in the Ham Shack. It's going to be a great day in the Ham Shack using Linux. I'm your host, Russ K5TUX. We don't have Cheryl tonight. She's uh, battling with a bad cold and a bout of pneumonia. But we do have with us from the wilds of Wooly Greeley, Colorado, Rich KD0RG. Good evening. Hi, everyone. Hey, and you sound pretty good tonight. Oh, thank you. I'm trying my best. And um, there's there's much less background noise. Although I uh, Audacity has a nice noise uh, remover processor. It does. So noise that comes in with your signal is not really an issue, but since we don't have to deal with it now, fantastic. Excellent. One less thing for you to do. That's that's good. I I need many less things for me to do, but I don't see that happening at all. Anyway, let's I, move right along. Let's let's get into it here, and then we can like jibber jabber like we always do. But anyway, uh, we're going to start with our first segment topics, which are amateur radio related, and uh, this one's actually been lying around for a couple of episodes because I didn't know how to incorporate it into the show. I rewrote it finally today. And uh, since Rich, you put this one in there, I'm going to let you read my revised version of your story. The Bug Book Computer Museum? Yes, that one. Well, this guy, I like this guy. I don't, uh, he's, uh, anyway, the Bug Book Computer Museum moves to the Computer Museum of America. David Larson, KK4WW, is a longtime ham, electronics enthusiast, and tinkerer with a history of experimenting in early microcomputers. For many years, he has maintained the Bug Book Computer Museum in Floyd, Virginia. Looking to the future, David wanted a way to keep the collection viable after he himself moves on. He found Lonnie Mims, owner and curator of the Computer Museum of America in Roswell, Georgia. In late January of 2016, he loaded up his wife and his collection and made the trip to Georgia so that his collection could become permanent part of the museum there. Quote, I'm very excited for the new home, not only the computer, the collection, Larson says. Any and all historical electronic equipment I have will be part of the move. Some of the additional items moving to the Computer Museum of America are my vintage ham radio collection, vintage radio tube collection, and assorted vintage test equipment and old signage used by electronic and computer stores. End quote. That's uh, from the bugmuseum.blogspot.com. And David Larson was uh, interviewed, yes, on QSO Today podcast episode 27. And one of the items that he moved down there was an Apple One. I thought that was interesting. I would actually kind of like to go down there. And Roswell's not too far from Atlanta. We have family who lives in Atlanta. So maybe the next time we run down to down Georgia Way, we can go check out this Computer Museum of America. It sounds pretty cool. On his blog there, if you go, he's got a bunch of uh, old ham radio gear that he took down there already. There's a comment in the chat room from Bill in E4RD who says that Gary can 4 aq Apparently, he was a douchebag on Neil Rapp's show last week. This is not a show about Gary. No, that's true, and we talk about Gary way too much. So, anyway, moving on. 
Because don't get me started. That's what I'm really saying. <laughs> That's we right. We need to move on. That's right. <laughs> now it's bubbled to the top. I try to suppress these feelings I have. Now it's bubbled to the top, Russ. I'm sorry. Gary I didn't, will, didn't will, mean to be the instigator, will, but. He will go and he'll say, ah, oh, quit bantering and blah, 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 blah. He wants to be a professional show. Get a professional face on there. That's <laughs> end of story. I'm sorry. He's always telling everybody, oh, you got oh, the lower third and all oh, this and that and everything. You got a face for radio. Stick to radio. <laughs> Don't do a video podcast. I'm wow. Sorry. What, what just fell over? Probably my Ubuntu 64-bit version. Right in the bit bucket it went. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there. There's the salvo right back. All right, enough about that. Millie, it doesn't take long to get derailed on this program, I'll tell you. Not with me here. <laughs> Not with any of us here. It doesn't make any difference who. So our next story is the FCC seeks comments on a petition to grant lifetime amateur radio licenses. I'd like to comment on this myself, and I am all for it. The FCC is seeking comments on a petition for rulemaking, 11760, that asks the FCC to grant lifetime amateur radio licenses. Mark F. Kratz, November 7, Mike Kilo of Mesa, Arizona, filed his request with the FCC last November. He wants the FCC to revise uh, Section 97.25 of its rules to indicate that the amateur radio licenses are granted for the holder's lifetime instead of for the current 10-year term. Kratz noted that the General Radio Telephone Operator Licenses, GROLs, already are issued on a lifetime basis and maintain that not having to renew licenses would lighten the FCC's workload. Do we really care if the government needs less work? It would be mutually beneficial for the FCC and amateur radio operators to update Part 97 to grant operator licenses for a lifetime, Crot said in his filing. The FCC would benefit by reducing administrative costs. So there you go. That came from the ARRL. Thanks, Rich, for putting that one in there. It's kind of cool, and I, I actually kind of hope this happens. I, w- I would love to not have to renew my license anymore because... I have so much to do that refiling every 10 years is a giant pain in my ass. It is. I, I see the, uh, the the downside of it is that you're going to have a lot of all signs that don't um, people aren't going to be able to. Yeah, I know. Oh, boo-hoo, wah-ha, people won't be able to get their vanity calls anymore. Oh, well. But so. no, but, but, all, but you know what? It forces people to do a little research. I mean, I'm not against it. If, if you want to do a little research and find a death certificate and turn it in and, and apply for the license, it's that easy. Right. One by twos are going to get harder to come by, and two by ones, they're already getting hard to come by, though. So it's like, I yeah, think it's a good idea. I like it. Have you used one of those vanity call sign searches to find a two by one or a one by two? It's damn oh, near yeah, impossible. Oh, yeah. And my favorite one, N4MC tired. Uh, so there's AE7Q, and it, it works great. AE7Q.com, I think it is. And um, I was at the point once where I was like, you know, I would know when the next one by two was going to come up, and I'd apply for it. And you know, it just, and then it was like, ah, I'm good. <laughs> if, if you're like spinning that bottle of cheap Australian wine on your desk, we can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> okay. I hear, I hear something rattling around up there. So I didn't know if it was your marbles or what. I just, <laughs> it's my table with all the junk on it. <laughs> all right. Just thought you should know. Thanks. All right. So we also have, uh, in our amateur radio topic, some advice, some sage advice for a new ham and what advice would that be if you're on the edge about getting your amateur radio license just go do it and worry about the details later but once you've done that you're going to need to know a little bit about the established culture and practices of the modern ham the details to that end steve mcgrath k0mcg has written up a so far two-part introductory series about ham radio his first article is fairly general 
and lays out many of the traditional applications of ham radio, chatting with other humans using the old-fashioned analog modes. You know, radio stuff. Uh, I put that in there because it showed up on Hackaday, actually, and Hackaday gets a lot of, a lot of people that you know, maybe the, the regular hams don't get, <laughs> don't get to. And, and then I looked at the, um, the K0 MCG write-up, and um, yeah, it's really good. It's, it's, it just gives you the basics, the general stuff. Goes over a few things. You can shop some related products, and it's not you know forty five page book on what's going on. It's quick and simple, and I thought it might motivate people who are like, "What is this amateur radio stuff?" I recall after reading this that I thought maybe we should do some really basic stuff on this program again because it wouldn't be bad to revisit some basic things like how do you go apply for your call sign? How do you take your test? Where do you go? How much does it cost? Things like that because you never know who's tuning in for the first time. And if I remember right, the last time we did an install on this program, and we did one live where we actually walked through a Linux distribution install, was in Episode 7. So, aye, aye, aye. Yeah. So I, I guess it wouldn't hurt to revisit some of these topics. I know the the old timers and the old hats and the you know the elmers are all screaming no you know but you can always <laughs> skip an episode and go do something else for a week while we cater to uh to bringing back some of the basics for a change i don't think it would hurt uh, it wouldn't hurt not at all anyway that's something we may do cuz episode 7 was a really really long time ago <laughs> yeah it was i agree uh, that was sometime around uh, the first uh first month of 2009 Wow. Time, uh, time to do a new... Uh, time to go back and start over. <laughs> Let's go back to episode number one. Let's just do the whole thing over. I, I'm, I'm down with that. Sounds good to me. All right, cool. <laughs> well, we also have uh, our flash topic. <laughs> Ooh, uh, yeah, I love these. For uh, our amateur radio topics before we move on. And this one is first solid state transmitter to span the Atlantic, now part of the AWRL historical collection. Uh, a flea-powered transistorized ham radio transmitter built in the 1950s and used to make transatlantic contact has become part of the AWRL's historical collection. Uh, the noteworthy historical artifact was donated by Andy Stewart, KB1OIQ, and that call sign should be familiar if you're a listener of this program. He's the uh, author of Andy's Ham Radio Linux. On behalf of the estate of Gus Falgren, Whiskey One Oscar Golf, uh, silent key, the ham at the key for that momentous event. Ta-da! So, very cool. Hey, I, I emailed Andy, and he emailed me back. I asked him if he ever used the transmitter or how he came uh, uh, by it. Gus was a member of his club, and Andy is the president of the local club. And Gus was a longtime and well-loved uh, member. It was kind of donated from the state, but anyway, Andy made it happen, and mentioned uh his his Linux. he also says he's going to have a new version in the next couple of months he's going to keep on the the long-term um port version if you have any free software that's cool that you would like added you can let him know all very good that information came from the arrl there's uh you can check out americanradiohistory.com as well for more information on that and the andy's ham radio linux is hosted over at sourceforge and links to all of these of course will be in the show notes the link to the actual article from the 1957 uh, magazine is there. And one more thing, Andy says that he's pleased there are so many downloads. And that tells me that either lots of people are trying it or a couple of very persistent people are having trouble downloading. I, I haven't tried that uh, Andy Sam Radio Linux in a little while, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the new version see how it is. We'll, we'll definitely talk about it here. 
Okay. So, moving on to open source topics for the evening, you can uh, hit this first one. I didn't know anything about this, but it's kind of cool. So, let's let's hear about the Turing phone. So, the Turing phone will ship with Sailfish OS, not Android. Turing phone promises to be the sturdiest, most secure smartphone. Smartphone. I think we need more smart farns the, in this world. <laughs> from the Linux and the Hamshack News Desk located in Greeley, Colorado, I'm Rich Gordon. Uh, the Turing phone promises to be the sturdiest, most secure smartphone around. And now it boasts one more unique feature. Yala's, or Jala's, Sailfish operating system. Do you know how to say that? I would go with Hoya because that's probably how it's pronounced. But The Hoya, yeah. Okay. Uh, I've always heard people say Jala. Anyway, moving on. The Turing phone will not use Android as promised. Turing Robotic Industries revealed in an email to fans. The message isn't addressed to owners because the Turing phone hasn't hit the market yet. It was supposed to ship in December, complete with Android, but it was delayed to 2016 at the last moment. This story was from Engadget. You can go to um, turingphone.com to see more information about this. They switched just recently uh, after... You know, all the trouble with Apple. And this phone was promised to be like the most secure phone you can ever have. You won't have to worry about anything. I think it comes out of Finland. I heard a high-level U.S. government official recently say, well, we'd like to be able to open up any phones. And somebody asked him, well, won't the terrorists just go find alternatives? And he said, well, I don't know. You know, some of them might find their way into northern Europe or something and buy phones from there but curious if they change to sailfish os because maybe there's some questions about uh android well you know where all the terrorists and all the hackers are going right we've talked about this it's, it's, <laughs> well, Bul- Bul- it's bulgaria. bulgaria right bulgaria is where they're all going well they can get a phone i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure they probably can but this phone is pretty neat it's a little pricey but uh it it looks like a real nice phone if it's less than two grand it's not too pricey yeah, it was less than two grand. <laughs> well, that's good. Then it's right on par with the iPad or the iPhone Seven or what? I don't want to do the conversion. I think it was uh, close to a thousand. I think six hundred ounce. Maybe it was only seven hundred dollars. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, that, that's not too out. Look, if they're in. right, that's that's not beyond the pale in the smartphone market for sure. It's not cheap enough to replace my Firefox OS phones. Well, you're the only one. I know. <laughs> I think you can get them new on eBay for $35 now. And, aye, aye, aye. and what carrier actually supports it? It's actually open, so you can go pretty much anybody who will sell you a... Uh, anything that's GSM, I assume, will... Yes, anything okay. that's GSM. Okay. So I, I use AT&T, but I actually use Net10. I, I just pay as you go, because huh. I'm cheap. <laughs> You're a ham. That's a given. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, maybe we should sell people phone services, huh? Have you ever heard of 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 anyway, no, we don't we don't do that, do we, Russ? No, we sure don't. Sell mattresses and phone plans and but we would like people to go to generosity. We would. We'll get to that later. Just, no, I, you need to say it more cuz people they don't go wait till the end. Well, that's true. Maybe I need to put that up front next time. Or I'll just put a big, you know, advertisement at the beginning before the intro. People sit through 20 minutes I know, of ads on some shows. I think we could, we could tell them real quick. Go to yeah. Generosity. Is it Generosity.com? Yeah, it's Generosity.com. Just look up Linux in the Hamshack or Linux. I mean, if you, find, if you just look up Linux, you'll find us. There's only like six things that Linux brings up. So That's right. And help Russ get to Dayton. 
Yep, we need to go to Dayton. Everybody in the chat room, if you haven't donated already, now's a good time. Generosity.com. Look up Linux in the ham shack. You'll find us. Donate if you can. If not, just tell everybody else. Tell them to donate. Badger them. You know, we're good at badger, that. Badger, badger, badger. Russ, do you have a raspberry pie? I have three raspberry pies. If I was cooler, I would have said, hey, did you have anything for dessert today? And I probably wouldn't have picked up on it, and we'd be just that much whiter. Let's talk about the Raspberry Pi 3, which is very cool, and now I have to get one. Thanks for mentioning it. It adds Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and speed, but still only costs $35. This is, like, far too cool. I don't know why I bothered with my Raspberry Pi 2 when clearly I should have bought a 3. Yes. Uh, Raspberry Pi has an in-store treat on its fourth anniversary. It's now shipping the Raspberry Pi 3, which at the same $35 price as its Pi 2 predecessor packs a more powerful 64-bit CPU and for the first time has built-in wireless capabilities. How cool is that? No external networking needed. The credit card size Pi 3 is up to 60% faster than its predecessor, which has shipped in the millions. It is the first Pi that can be called a true PC replacement, said Eben Upton, CEO of Raspberry Pi, in a phone interview with the IDG News Service. Uh, this article actually came from PC World, so you can check that out if you want to. The link will be in the show notes, but... I'm not sure how many Pi 3s I'll wind up owning, but I probably won't buy more than two because I know as soon as I do, the Pi 4 will be out and it'll be even better. That's uh, right. Uh, the, the Raspberry Pi thing, they're pulling the whole Apple thing. Yes, yeah, they, they, they are, but they're cheap. They, they are cheap. It's not like you have to worry about buying the iPhone 6 and then the 6C and then the 6S, which come out two months from each other, but those are like 700 bucks a pop. I've got one of the first ones, the 256 meg uh version i have i have two b's and a two okay well see some of the b's had 512 yeah i have i have the one gig b's two of the one gig b's and a two okay well i have the first the first one it's only 256 but it works good for you know simple things like uh serving files to my Atari. i anyway i was i was using mine as an svx link server i had it actually connected to a node and it was running uh an echo link link Oh, very nice. That's excellent. So, yes, you can do that with a Raspberry Pi. Even even, yes, a, even a first-gen one. Well, I you guess that's do. technically a second-gen one because it's the B. They're so, out there if people yeah. want to play with them. So Raspberry Pi, they're amazing. Since I read your story, you can read my story. Microsoft is bringing SQL Server to Linux. And they like SQ- to call it SQL Server, just so you know. Oh, I have so much to learn. Well, I, I, the only reason I'm saying is because people people like Gary and other people, people who aren't as pedantic as Gary, get on other people for the difference between SQL and SQL. And in the case of Microsoft, it's SQL Server. In the case of SQL as a technology, then usually when you're talking about Linux and, and MySQL and MariaDB, it's SQL. But just so you know, in this case... It's SQL Server. Pedantic, ostentatious in one's learning, overly concerned with minute details or formalisms. <laughs> did I use the right, the right word? I'm pretty you sure did. I did. <laughs> you did. I had to look it up, though, because, you know, I hear in the West, we don't have dictionaries and or nothing like that. You know, we don't need them, really. Just, there's a cow and there's oil, and that's all you need to know out here. All right. I just have to say that uh, in in my world, uh, in the world of people who like know things, who are who are more book smart than street smart, the word pedant is hilarious because we talk about being pedants all the time and our pedantry. <laughs> I see. And 
people who know what you're talking about know what you're talking about, and people who don't know what you're talking about think you're talking about something else. Yes, yes, it's true. <laughs> so it's fun. But anyway, go ahead. Microsoft is bringing SQL Server to Linux. SQL Server, Microsoft's flagship relational database product, is now available on Linux in the form of an early private preview with a full launch plan for mid-2017. Until now, SQL Server was strictly a Windows product, but Microsoft says it plans to open up access to SQL Server on Linux as it gets closer to general availability. The announcement comes three days ahead of Microsoft's planned SQL Server 2016 event in New York. Not too long ago, an announcement like this would have been unthinkable. Over the last few years, though, and especially under its new CEO, Satya Nadella, the company has started to open up more of its services and put a stronger emphasis on open source. This news also fits into Microsoft's overall emphasis on hybrid deployments. Microsoft already runs Linux in its cloud and recently announced a major partnership with Red Hat. On Linux, products like MySQL, MariaDB, and PostgreSQL. How the hell do you say PostgreSQL. PostgreSQL are also vying for a very similar slice of the market. That comes from TechCrunch. Yep, that was very cool. I actually saw that today like an hour before the show, and I was like, well, holy cow, they're actually going to bring SQL Server to Linux, which is actually cool for me because I would much prefer to run SQL Server on Linux than on Windows, which is what, how we have to do it now at work, so I can't wait for this to actually be a thing. Why SQL Server? Why can't you use something else? I think Microsoft is just trying to position itself in a place where you can use one of its SQL-based servers over somebody else's. The big problem there is... Things like MySQL and MariaDB, which are, by the way, essentially the same thing, and PostgreSQL are all free open source products. So I think what Microsoft is trying to do is get themselves in and uh, shoehorn in a paid product for those people who like support on stuff, uh, particularly in hybrid enterprise environments where some folks like to push for the open source and other folks like closed source. And this is another way to get their products out there. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Hopefully it'll be a win for the Linux community and and uh, just give us another option in in our list of database servers that we have access to. So what's their business angle? Okay, a business doesn't have to change the way that it's it doesn't have to change the software it uses, and now it can you know like if well, they want to go for a company, it will ultimately be cheaper possibly because they could use they could use SQL Server and pay whatever the cost is for the SQL Server license, but actually run it on Win or on Linux and not have to pay for the Microsoft server uh, license. Right. Okay. Yep. Okay. So. Very good. Oh, so so maybe for companies wanting to cut cut costs, this is a nice option. Right. They can still stay with the Microsoft product that they're used to and familiar with, but they can save themselves a few bucks by not having to buy, you know, 2012 server or whatever. Very good. So that's our open source topics for the evening and now we're going to move on to Linux in the ham shack. Since, since you like to put in these uh, things from the Debian bug repo, let's go ahead and let you uh, go ahead and talk about this one. And, and Ted's in the chat room, so I'm sure he'll, he'll uh, have his angle on this since it's his well, software I, we're talking about. I find these fascinating, these, these bug reports and the, the little adventures they lead me on. Debian bug report log, number 815708-RFP-TWHAMQTH, call sign lookup using hamqth.com database. So RFP is a request for packaging. And uh, so I, because I, I looked at RFP and I'm like, what is that? P 
apparently you talked about it at one time and I must have I must have missed it. I didn't realize it was there. It's a it's a nice little application, look at a call sign lookup app and it it's not in the repository. So I can make a request to package anything. It's like all the power is in the user. I thought I just thought it was cool. So you can go to debian.org forward slash E E V E L Devel forward slash W N P P stands for something too and I forget what it is. Work needing and perspective packages. So I looked at some of the uh, requests for adoption packages, and these are packages that, uh, that need adopting by people. Otherwise, they will go away. And, of course, we have to keep Bulgaria in the show. There was a request for adoption for a package called Sabetic, which is the text mode Bulgarian English dictionary, and it has been on that request list for over 3,150 days. That's almost 10 years it's been on the list. Yes, and what about Claude's window manager? Claude's tab window manager. It's a plug-in for the for TWM. I don't know. It's been on there for 2,300 days. And one that just went on that is really cool that people might want to check out is the Swiss railway clock for the X window system. It's been on there for 41 days. Somebody please take this over. I, got down the, I went down this long road about the Swiss railway clock since it's, you know, I am half Swiss, you know. Yeah. It's just a big X Windows clock. This actually led me down the rabbit hole just before the show of trying to figure out how to make Debian packages so I could actually package it for. Oh, it. man, <laughs> it's not as easy as it as you would think. No, it's not, and I really want to learn how. This is something I've wanted to know how to do for like ten years now, and um, this this might be the thing that that finally clinches it for me. Because if anything, I would love to be the package maintainer for uh, TW Ham QTH. That would be cool. Oh, you'd be famous. I, yeah, well, sort of. <laughs> There'd be like six people who would know who I am. I think it would be cool, too. Um, so almost as cool as modeling your own antennas. Almost as cool as that. But um, this was actually a story that we're going to move on to now uh, about antenna modeling software. We've touched briefly on a couple of past episodes about uh, antenna modeling, but I don't actually know anything about antenna modeling i mean i know what it is i know it's if you want to build an antenna you can use an antenna modeling piece of software that will help you determine the lengths and distances of the radiating radials and you know the position on your boom for your yagi elements and stuff like that for the best you know forward gain or front to back ratio or near field propagation or you know you can use smith charts to determine feed line impedance and all kinds of like crazy technical crap that i don't know anything about someone in our google plus community said hey maybe you should do an episode on antenna modeling software because i don't know if there's any out there for linux i didn't really either so i went and started looking and sure enough there is some stuff out there for linux and there's also some stuff out there for windows and mac and even like we're going to talk about for this first one, stuff out there for DOS. Yeah, DOS! Yeah. Woo! I'm going to bring that one up first because it brings up a couple of interesting topics. The first one is the fact that it's actually a modeling software package that determines the proper modeling for Yagi antennas. And everybody who listens to the show should probably know what a Yagi is, um, but they're basically what people call beam antennas. And there's a great package, and this was actually mentioned by the person who asked the question, that uh, he used back in the 90s a, a software package called Yagi Max, Y-A-G-I-M-A-X. 
uh, it ran on DOS, and it's a purely text-based modeler, except for the fact that it actually had a VGA graphics layer, like the original VGA, 640 by 480 VGA graphics layer, to generate a 3D model of a Yagi and a Smith chart of the feed line impedance and the SWR match. And that can all be done in DOS if you happen to be running a box that still runs DOS. Or if you're not, if you're running Linux, you can install DOSBox, which uh, for Debian and Ubuntu folks is an app-get install DOSBox away. And then uh, using that, you can run this Yagi Max software in there on your Linux system uh, in a DOS emulator. And from what I could see, it works flawlessly. Uh, I was actually able to get it to generate uh, an isotropic antenna in free space, show me what it looks like as a 3D model, and and show me a reactance chart, a Smith chart. Uh, and even though I don't know what any of that data actually means, I, I got to see it. And let me just go ahead and read through what the uh, Yagi Mac software says it actually is of itself. It says, quite outdated, but still a good program to calculate and design a Yagi antenna. Uh, it's elements, dimensions, sizing, and spacing. Uh, one peculiarity is that you first need to tell the program the size of your antenna, and then you can calculate resonating frequency, expected standing wave ratio, optimize the design as well. It includes full 3D modeling and Smith charting. One thing I did have a trouble with is finding a place that still actually had the software for download, considering that this was last updated in the late 90s. I did actually find a place where you could download it, and I'm actually going to put... Uh, I'm actually going to post it as a torrent, so I'm going to keep it fed as a torrent file so that this software will not go away, even though it's very old. Uh, It's still perfectly functional. It does everything it says it will do, and there's no reason why you can't run DOSBox on your Linux machine to actually run the software if you want to. So if you want to do that, check out Yagi Max, a link to where you can download it from. Uh, A link to the torrent that I actually make will be available. And if you want more information on DOSBox itself, you can go to DOSBox.com, but again, it's already packaged up for Debian systems and presumably others like SUSE and Red Hat and so on. Well, I've never used uh, Yagi Max, but I have used AmCalc, and it's still being hosted on CQ Magazine, CQ's website. And HamCalc also runs under DOS, and it has a bunch of different uh, uh, calculators for all kinds of stuff, from filters to antennas to all kinds of stuff. But the graphics are, uh, <laughs> you know, ASCII, ASCII art. But the Yagi Max sounds pretty cool. I actually downloaded it, and uh, I got DOSBox on there. So I'm going to try it out. What actually surprised me about Yagi Max is that it's not ASCII-based. It, it is clearly VGA-based, and you will get, uh, if you bring up the Smith chart option, you will get a full VGA Smith chart, even in the DOS window. It's something for a Raspberry Pi. And I didn't know about HamCalc, so I'm glad you need, you put that in there. You need to uh, document that so we can uh, have it in the show notes as well, because that's one I did not get to. Okay. The next one I put in here, uh, because I found it in my searches, it's 4NEC2. Uh, that's the number 4, November Echo Charlie number 2. It's a completely free NEC2, NEC4, and Windows-based tool for creating, viewing, optimizing, and checking 2D and 3D-style antenna geometry structures. It also generates displays and or compares near and far field radiation patterns for both the starting and experienced antenna modeler. Uh, With the included optimizer and sweeper, one is able to optimize antenna and other environmental 
environment variables for gain, resonance, SWR, efficiency, and front-to-back ratios. With the sweeper, one is able to graphically display the effect of changing one or more of these variables for a specified range of values and frequencies. For the starting modeler, a graphically-based 3D geometry editor is included, which requires no additional NEC knowledge, while still enabling one to create and visualize and compare current distribution far and near-field patterns and gain SWR charts. More experienced modelers can use the gradient style and or the genetic algorithm-based optimizers to improve their designs. It's still available. It's Windows only. It's still being actively maintained and supported, but I tried this since it's Windows only under Wine on my Debian machine. It did run under Wine, but it failed when generating the 3D model. It, It could do everything but generate 3D models. So what I did was I downloaded a demo of Crossover Office, which is like wine on steroids. It actually runs 100%. The reason it runs 100% in Crossover is that Crossover has support for DirectX, which is 3D acceleration, and wine by itself does not. So if you want to get Crossover... You can do that. It's a $60 product, but it allows you to run almost anything you can imagine that's a Windows software under Linux. And it does work quite well. It's at qsl.net slash 4NEC2 if you want to find out about that. Link, of course, will be in the show notes. Since we've uh, talked about a couple of products that are not Linux native, let's talk about some that actually are. The next two are NEC2C and XNEC2C. Uh, These are based on NEC, the original uh, application for antenna modeling, uh, which was written in Fortran back in the day. And the NEC2C and XNEC2C is a reference to the conversion of the Fortran application to a C application. That means it's Linux native. And if anybody didn't know this, uh, NEC stands for Numerical Electromagnetics Code, which, by the way, is a question or a couple of questions on the Amateur Extra test, which I am going to be taking in a couple of weeks so I can become an Amateur Extra. Congratulations, Russ! I know, it's about time, right? What about Cheryl? Cheryl's going to get her tech at the same time. (laughs) All right! Wow, we'll have a party on the next show. Uh, Well, it's not going to be in time for the next show, but it'll be in time for the one after that. (laughs) All right, well, mark your calendars, everybody. Yep. (laughs) I I am already passing uh, every single test test that I take, so, for the Amateur Extra. Excellent. Uh, Sometimes I pass it with, you know, a two-question margin, sometimes it's an eight-question margin, but it's a pass every time, so I'm confident that when I actually go to take it, I'll be, uh, I'll become an extra. A pass is a pass. A pass is a pass, and I'm looking forward to it. I've been a general since 1993. It's about time. (laughs) (laughs) NEC2C and XNEC2C. Uh, operationally, NEC2C differs from NEC2 by being a command-line non-interactive program, taking as arguments the input file name and, optionally, the output file name. XNEC2C is a graphical wrapper around the original. Uh, they're written by 5 Bravo 4 Alpha Zulu. Uh, you can find that at qsl.net as well. Link, of course, will be in the show notes. And these are fully functional Linux-native antenna modeling bits of software. So, again, I wish I could talk a little more eloquently and knowledgeably about antenna modeling but of course i can't so rather than just stumble through talking about stuff i have no idea about 
we'll just move on. No, you can't. What do you mean I can't? <laughs> because we have to talk about 5 before AZ. This is, this is one of those great things about open source because I'm actually listed <laughs> on okay. one of his pages. <laughs> wow, cool. I had some troubles wor- with one of a, a different program that he used. And so he, uh, he made some changes for me. Like, um, gee, I'm in here a bunch of times. Wow, cool. <laughs> anyway, uh, it was a feature request and, and it got taken care of by him. Uh, Nicholas, Nicholas, is that his name? XNEC2C uh, is really cool. And when you open it up for the first time, you're looking at it and you're like, what is going on here? I don't know what to do here. It, you know, it says file, new, open, edit, save. And, you know, nobody wakes up in the morning knowing how to write an NEC file because everything needs to be in a certain, you know, each line means something like the width of the, of your radiating element. And then there's distance apart. And anyway, you're like, well, I don't know what to do here. I can't do anything. Well, if you run xnec2c he has a whole folder of examples they're in user slash share well sar slash share slash doc slash xnec2c and you can load these up and you can you know look at all kinds of antenna examples you'll just look at a simple dipole they're text files so you can look at the text file and then you can say oh okay well what if i change this here you know you can kind of figure out after a while how to write these text files. So I'm going to uh, open up the 10 to 30 meter by pyramid. I don't know what that is. It's a crazy, <laughs> Nor do I. It's a, it's a crazy antenna. But all there's a bunch of uh, files and it's graphical and you can rotate the antenna and you can uh, click the apply button and it'll kind of go through a frequency change and show you how the pattern changes the radiation pattern of the antenna through like a you step through frequencies it's really very powerful program very cool uh i suppose if there was one we should recommend for doing antenna modeling on linux uh, xnec2c would would be the one but there are some others so there are but yeah uh, the 5b4az uh, neoclis neoclis i think that's his name bunch of software that he's written and his website is out there. Uh, you can look for 5 Bravo 4 Alpha Zulu on Google, and you'll find all kinds of cool stuff that he's written. Uh, I know uh, European and uh, you know, Western, or Eastern, Western and Eastern European uh, hams have written some great software. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff that comes out of the Netherlands that we talk about. So, uh, Yeah, he's, uh, he's from Cyprus, and the last I heard, he was doing okay, but, you know... Didn't know which way things were going over there. So yeah. Anyway, but this next one is rather spiffy. It's spiffy. It's called Jiffy, which I had no idea this even existed until today. But uh, it's a suite of programs written in a programming language called BLT, which I had never heard of that before either. But it's an extension of the Tickle slash TK uh, application suite, which are intended to assist in visualizing antennas. Package is intended to provide windows which show both antenna patterns and antenna configuration. An accompanying article in both LaTeX and PostScript form that comes with this application, Jiffy, describes the process of designing a simple antenna using the system. And Jiffy is actually downloadable as a tar file from uh, from a site in Finland, Funet.fi. I don't actually know anything about Jiffy. I did not get a chance to actually look at this one. It's by W5GFE, Jiffy. 
Oh, uh, how cute is that? That's cute. It is cute, and I didn't even realize that until you said it. <laughs> oh, that's what I'm here. But no, I have not had a chance to look at this one. Um, I'm presuming that if you uh, download and install it, or try to install it, then you'll have to have Tickle and TK uh, installed on your systems, uh, which is an app get install away on, on Debian machines. Tickle, by the way, is TCL, and it is pronounced Tickle. It's one of those weird things. I think Ted knows about Tickle because uh, I, I think so. I was gonna, I was gonna say that, but I don't have enough about Jiffy to actually talk about it. Maybe on the next episode we can do that. He's got a nice how-to and a nice readme, and here's how to use the W5 GFE Jiffy system. So very good. All right, very cool. So if that's something you want to try out, you should definitely check it out. Uh, and, and Ted that's is- from Bill. Cool. W5 GFE. From that, we're going to move on to the Yagi Modeler applet. This is a Java applet that implements a simple Yagi modeling code. Uh, the initial input is a trivial two-element Yagi. Click on Calculate to have the applet calculate the driven element input impedance, gain, and front-to-back ratio. The pattern is displayed on the graph. The upper part of the graph is the azimuthal pattern. Azimuthal pattern? Azimuthal pattern? <laughs> E-plane for a horizontally polarized Yagi. The lower part of the graph is the elevation pattern, or H-plane. The Yagi is pictured in the upper panel, and to run the application, you need a Java runtime environment or a Java development kit. Uh, In the class of subdirectory, type Java Yagi model, or equivalent to pop up the modeler. To build the applet from source, you need a Java development kit from Oracle. A lot of the information about this was really outdated. It was talking about things like getting uh, Java from Sun, which you haven't been able to do for some time, among other things. So I updated it to make it relevant. But since it's written in Java, all you need is JRE, and you can run it. It doesn't matter what platform you're on. As long as it supports Java, it supports the Yagi modeler applet. Uh, You can find the make file in Java source directory, and then you may need to update some parameters in there to match your local system if you want to try and build it instead of running it as an actual Java applet. Apparently, this is hosted at uh, one of the Fermi Labs and uh, what's ASU.edu, Arizona State EDU? Sounds legit. Arizona State University, right? Number one university in the U.S. for? No idea. So it's ASU.edu, apparently Arizona State University. It's written by Whiskey9 Charlie Foxtrot, and uh, you can check that out there as well. I have trouble. Oh, yeah. Kevin Schmidt. I have trouble with ASU because around here, ASU means Arkansas State University, not Arizona State University. That's an entirely different topic. That's uh, from 1998. Yep, another old one. But it's, you know, these these are all old, but they all do what they're supposed to do. So it doesn't really matter. You mean the math hasn't changed? No, apparently it has not changed. Unbelievable. Okay. Despite gravitational waves and everything, the math still works. (laughs) So we got one last one, and I would love for Rich to do... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'll bet you would. <laughs> what do you think about Java? You like those Java apps? I, I'm not or, a huge fan of Java, but I do love their compatibility. I love the do, fact that they just run. Yeah, it seemed to be a lot of overhead, but it, it's not making it. It's not making as much of a difference anymore. No, if you're running on low-powered hardware, it could be a problem. But on any desktop system, I mean, having a JRE is not impacting your performance at all. Correct. I've had some great luck with some Java stuff and. Bad luck with Java stuff. Sometimes yep. getting it to work is hard. All right. You want me to, to do the next one? <laughs> yes, the calculator de antenas. See? See? Calculator de antenas. Antenna calculator lets you perform calculations to make your homemade antennas easily. 
As you enter the operating frequency, the program gives you all the information you need, and that is over at SourceForge.net, and you just look up Calculador de Antenas, and I will tell you who's bringing us that, that really good software. Does this run on Linux? It uh, does, as far as I understand. It does run on Linux, and that's why it's in the list. It's funny because the, the English there you read is translated directly from Google Translate from the Spanish that it's actually in <laughs> <laughs> on the uh, SourceForge webpage. Yeah. You didn't put the Spanish on there. No, oh, I did. that's uh, LU3EJA. He's from, what is that? I think that's Brazil. If you look at the uh, Calculador de Antenas website over on SourceForge, it shows the last update was August 17th of 2015. And there have been a total of two downloads. <laughs> <laughs> this week? This week, yep. A, a two downloads this week. It's actually on SourceForge as a deb and an RPM. So, oh, nice. I love it when they do that. Yep. So there you go. That's fantastic. Oh, that's excellent. So we don't have a whole lot of information about it, but it is a Linux native antenna model. So there you go. And just because it's in Spanish, uh, should be no diversion to anyone. I'm going to install it right now. I, I should have I should have jumped forward in the show notes. And that's all we had. Well, we talked about um, HamCalc, which you put in there. Yes, I so did. that that link to that will be in the show notes. And of course, we talked about it a little bit. So there are antenna modelers. Some of them native to Linux. Some of them not. But all of them available to be run on Linux in one way or another, whether it's uh, Java or in a DOS emulator or under Wine. Hopefully, that runs the entire spectrum of antenna modeling software, and if that's something you use and know how to use or want to get into, I hope we've given you a few resources to actually do that. I was just going to say, HamCalc is written in GW Basic. Move along. Hey. Well, that's okay. I mean, it just goes to show that it doesn't really matter what you write something in, it works. It's as simple as that. I love the calculators that just give you the quick and dirty numbers, and there's a lot there. I actually Excellent. played around with the DOS one, the first one we talked about, Yagi Max, and uh-huh. for a DOS application that came out in the late 90s, it does a surprising amount of stuff. And I know that the guy who, who brought this whole antenna modeling topic up on Google+, he's like, this is the thing I used to use way back when, and I'm like, well, if you're still building Yagi's, you should probably still use it, because it's uh, really good. What do you know about Gombas? I know nothing about Gombas. Okay. Calculador. Was he like healing people in India? It's written in Gambas. That's all I'm saying. That's the first time I've ever heard that word. Really? Really? It's a, it's, you know, didn't we mention crazy languages that nobody uses? It's one of those. Uh, I see Kanbus, which is a short neck lute that originated in Yemen. G-A-M-B-A-S is the name of an object-oriented dialect of the basic programming language as well as the integrated development environment that accompanies it. Designed to run on Linux and other Unix-like computers operating systems, its name is recursive acronym for Gambus. Gambus also means basic. Yes, Yes. I see that. Gambus almost means basic. Almost, almost Almost means basic. Almost means basic, right. And it's apparently... A lobster is its mascot. <laughs> is that a lobster or a crawfish? I can't tell. I don't know. <laughs> it's blue, whatever it is. No, I, I've honestly never heard of Gombas before, but now it will never leave my brain, I'm sure. 
And now I have to run auto.gombus. Let's see if it works. <laughs> auto.gombus. <laughs> this would be the first time that know. that's ever happened, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, he named it Auto. I'll let you know if it works. Okay, cool. Let's listen to some music. Let's listen to some music, and then we'll find out if Gombus actually did anything. I found this one a little earlier today. Um, it's a great piece of music, and these are folks who are new to the music scene. They're actually playing their first concert, like, in a month in Nashville. And the EP was actually released in December of 2015, so this is really new stuff. It's by a group, or actually a pair, a singer-songwriter pair called Arrow and Olive. Uh, their little EP that they put out on Gemendo is also called Arrow and Olive, and this is a track that I chose called Whiskey Woman. It runs about two and three-quarter minutes. Like I said, they're out of Nashville, Tennessee. You can find them on Gemendo, and they also have a Facebook address and a website, Arrow and Olive. Just just look up Arrow and Olive. You'll find them all over the place. Whiskey Woman by Arrow and Olive. mind if that song was about two minutes longer there is some fantastic blues guitar sort of underneath all the vocal in that song i would love to hear more of it but unfortunately it only runs a a hair under two minutes 40 again that's whiskey woman by arrow and olive out of nashville tennessee they were great i thought that was really good i, I enjoyed actually they only have four tracks up on gemendo and i liked every single one of them i thought they were all fantastic 
Yeah, they're really good. Now we can move on to uh, announcements and feedback, and we only have a couple of things to talk about. The first one we've already kind of touched on is our generosity campaign. It is at generosity.com. Uh, we're into the first week of March here, and Hamvention is in the middle of May, so our time is running out quick. And I'm not actually sure what the state of our booth is since we did not rent it last year at Hamvention, so I don't even know if we can get it back again. But I do know that if we're going to go to Hamvention, we're going to need to get funded here PDQ, as they say. Uh, otherwise, it's just not going to happen. So I hope that if you get the opportunity, you can go to generosity.com, look up Linux in the Ham Shack. You will find our campaign there. Uh, we do have a long way to go over the next month or so. Try and get funded and be uh, the lone open source advocates there at Hamvention. We talked about this quite a bit in the last episode, so I don't want to beat people over the head with it. it you know, it's a, uh, they take credit card. So if you're worried about that, you could go to Walmart and get your $20 prepaid card and put that in there. I was thinking about this. I'm like, why Why don't more people give? And Well, maybe I should talk about this later. I think maybe people, oh, they're just, they just want to go to date. And it's like, no, it's not. Russ doesn't actually get to see the ham fest. <laughs> no, I don't because get to see the ham fest. It's not like people don't send us money. We just go to Dayton anyway, because if anyone was paying attention, we weren't there last year because sure, we could go to Dayton. We could spend our $20 or whatever it is to get in there and go actually see the ham fest and partake in the, in the joy that is Dayton Hamvention, but that's not what we're there for. If, I have a great idea. If it doesn't work out this year, we'll start, we'll sell mattresses, razors, Pill boxes. What else could we sell? Phone plans. Oh, what else? Anyway. Is there a pyramid scheme we can get into? <laughs> These are all things that uh, one ham radio show sells to its listeners. I, I don't listen to other ham radio shows. Oh, so. you should. You can I, buy I, a mattress. I really should. I, I Apparently, I need a mattress. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. All and right. if you have lots of prescriptions, they'll, they'll take care of it for you. All right, anyway. we're, we're not going to belittle anyone else's shows. We're not going to plug our own show. But if you can help, we would really appreciate it. And again, lots of lots of cool perks if you if you happen to donate. So keep that in mind as well. I, I wasn't trying to belittle their show. It's a great show. I'm just saying it's all we ask for. That's right. We don't we, we don't do promotion here. We don't take sponsorships. We don't do anything. Everything is generated by the listeners. We we try to keep it that way for a reason. Moving on, uh, the Ors Ham Fest, Ozark Amateur or Ozark Area Radio Society Ham Fest, is coming up on March 26th. That's a Saturday. It goes from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can find out information about that at www.w0oar.com. That's Whiskey Zero Oscar Alpha Romeo. And the reason I bring this up is because I think Linux in the Ham Shack will be at that Ham Fest. It's uh, it's in Mount Vernon, Missouri. It's like two miles down the road from where I live. Uh, so we're hoping to be there. And that is the Ham Fest that I am going to be taking my Amateur Extra test and passing it and becoming an Amateur Extra. Excellent. And if you happen to be anywhere near here, you could come visit us because we'll have a booth. And that is the Oars. Oars, yep. Ozark Area Radio Society Ham Fest. Oh. That is the same day as Larkfest 2016 at the Boulder County Fairgrounds. 
And you, since I hadn't sent you back the stuff, I was going to go to LarkFest. <laughs> well, that's okay. We have other stuff. So, I mean, you can go to that one. Okay. Uh, we, we, we can do another booth here if you want to keep the stuff that you already have and, and go to that one. That's perfectly fine. Uh, and here's another reminder for the Northeast Louisiana Ham Fest. We mentioned this a couple episodes back, but it's on Saturday, April 16th. It's in Monroe, Louisiana on a Saturday. You, they're going to be giving away stuff, a uh, Yezu FT450 Delta, an FT60R, and an MFJ259C antenna analyzer. Those are going to be given away there. Forums are going to include things from the ARRL, the Louisiana Contest Club, and how to operate a remote ham station, of all things. That's pretty cool. Testing will be done at 9 o'clock a.m., and there are flea market tables still available down there in Monroe, Louisiana. So if you want to get down there and be a part of that show, uh, you still have some time. And unfortunately, as we mentioned early on in the show, Cheryl is not with us tonight. She's battling a bout of pneumonia, so she's uh, asleep right now. Uh, at least I hope she is. So I'm going to have to take over Cheryl's recipe corner for tonight. And as disappointing as that is, we're going to talk about some lobster pizza, which is good eating. Ooh. If you've ever been to a Red Lobster, they have on their appetizer menu lobster pizza, which we tend to get a lot. It's basically some imitation lobster tomatoes and stuff on a tortilla. And we do it basically the same way, but we kind of load it up. All you got to do is get yourself a big old tortilla. The bigger, the better, as far as I'm concerned. You need to get some roasted garlic butter, which this recipe will show you how to make. You need some grated Parmesan cheese, diced Roma tomatoes, fresh basil. Lobster meat is good. You can use imitation lobster meat. You can also use crab meat if you can't get lobster meat. And you need some Italian six-cheese blend. You also need some pepper and some salt. So basically what you do is you heat up an oven. You get it real smoking hot, about 450 degrees. You lightly brush the tortilla with garlic butter. You sprinkle some cheese on it. Uh, you put a bunch of this other stuff on it, like the lobster and the tomatoes and blah, 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 blah. You just dump it on there, spread it out, put some mozzarella cheese on there if you want to. And I would recommend keeping the mozzarella kind of spare because if you put too much on there, it gets kind of oily and heavy and kind of not very good. So use less than you think you need. It'll still turn out really good. Get it all on there and you've got some lobstery, garlicky, cheesy pizza goodness. It's all really good. The recipe is going to be in the uh, show notes and everything and on Cheryl's website as well. It also includes the information on how to make that garlic butter, which is the key to the whole thing. Uh, We usually make this about once every month or month and a half. It's really easy to do. There's about 15 or 20 minutes worth of prep work. It takes about 10 minutes to cook. Uh, And you have a pretty amazing and unusual pizza. I, I actually think the one that we make out of this recipe is better than the stuff you get at the restaurant and it's cheaper too since the recipe corner is over we got to move on to our social media roundup and with that we're going to do first donations and subscriptions we have jonas rulo jeremy hall michael Connolly, harrison kyle scott Pettigrew, bob yerke paul griffith ronald ike johnny kinsey brian smith john spriggs robert halliday ben schram michael aiello john clark rob branch dash edward donnelly donald glover alan wilson stephen sainer dylan angle jason marinero ronald nestler james blocker doug reader mike lasky darren king petro kartsakis and donald farron whoo thank you thank you thank you yay (laughs) new on facebook this week we have randy collins and glenn p hill we also have some new folks over on google plus jonathan straub and keith birdwell on Twitter, we got followed by Ham Talk Live, November 9, Tango, Zulu, Oscar, 
Ham Radio underscore Trains and 50 Media. On YouTube, Cheryl Lynn Jones, our illustrious Cheryl Lynn Jones, finally decided to join the YouTube channel. Uh, one day we might actually have some stuff on the YouTube channel to watch. And uh, no one joined the mailing list and no one bought any merchandise. Although there was an indication on Google Plus that someone was trying to buy some merchandise. So there may be some news on that for the next episode. We'll see how that goes. And since we're down to the social media roundups end, that means the show is over. Bye, so. everyone. Bye. <laughs> Bye. We'll miss you. We will miss you for two weeks, and then we'll talk to you again, I'm sure. All right. You know what that means? I'm going to have to push the little button and then read some outro stuff. So there we go. There's music. I'll let you enjoy it for a moment. All right, you've been listening to episode number 164 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. That is Rich, KD0RG. You can become an ambassador to our show. You can visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Hamshack at a nearby LinuxCon or HamFest. We love feedback. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info. You can comment on an episode on the website, post on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, or leave us a voicemail at one nine zero nine LHS show. That's one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. You can visit our IRC channel, which is Octothorpe LHS podcast on the Free Node Network. You can also subscribe to our mailing list. We have show merchandise from coffee mugs to T-shirts, which you can purchase at cafepress.com slash LHS podcast. You can also help the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the homepage. Every click sends us a penny or two. You can listen to us live every other Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time, plus or minus QRL. That's uh, Tuesday at 0100 Zulu Time or 0200 Zulu Time in the summer. Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website. Check us out at lhspodcast.info. For everything you ever wanted to know about the show, thanks to all of our listeners live quasi live past present and future make sure to check out our generosity campaign and thanks to you from all of us cheryl who's unfortunately sick in bed tonight from Greeley, colorado and uh, rich kd zero rg and for me here in southwestern missouri in studio 3d i'm russ k5tux and i hope to hear from you all and i hope you get to listen to us again in a couple of weeks time we'll see you then bye bye la frecuencia operativa y la programa te lo explica todo lo que debes hacer.